0: Let's take our Bibles and uh, turn to Luke chapter 17. We are studying verse by verse through this wonderful gospel. We come today to verse 11. The title of the message is The Mark of a True Disciple, Part 2. Last week, we looked at several marks of a true disciple, and today I want to uh, finish up that thought on the note of thankfulness. One of the marks of a true disciple of the Lord Jesus is a thankful heart. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. As God in his sovereignty would have it, our text this morning fits that occasion very well. It's the story of 10 men who were healed of the disease of leprosy, but only one of the 10 returned to give thanks for his healing. Let's read that story now. Verse 11, while he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed, but the nine, where are they? was no one found who returned to give glory to God, except this foreigner. And he said to him, stand up and go, your faith has made you well." May the Lord add his blessing in the reading of his word. Well, leprosy, as you likely know, was one of the most feared diseases of the ancient world because there was no medical cure. There really, that really was not a unique to leprosy in the ancient world. Most diseases had no medical cure. We are blessed, aren't we, indeed, to live in a time when so many of the most dreaded diseases have been eradicated or or easily cured. I've often remarked that in the past few years I have had several health situations that were cured with what we call minor surgery that would have been a death sentence in another age, but leprosy was almost in a class by itself when it came to diseases. For one, it was progressive once it started, it became worse and worse and more and more obvious. It was contagious, and that caused those who suffered from it to be isolated and quarantined from their families and friends and loved ones. It was repulsive. It led to sights and smells and horrors of all sorts before it ultimately ended in death. To be a leper meant a long, slow, miserable death, physically and emotionally. And because sin shares so many of the same characteristics as leprosy, to be a leper and to be a sinner have become synonyms. We know that, like leprosy, sin is progressive. David in Psalm 1 talks about a sinner starting out by walking among sinners and then standing among them and ultimately sitting where they sit. It defiles us, it separates us from our holy God, Creator. It is repulsive. To God, to others, this is what makes the fact that Jesus was willing to leave the perfections of heaven to become one of us so amazing. We call that concept condescension, and that's the first point in your outline, the condescension of Christ. It's evident here in verse 11, while he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village. Ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They stood at a distance because they were required to by law. If a leprous person saw a healthy person on the street, he had to cross over so as not to contaminate the clean person. But here's Jesus mingling in and among not only humanity, but the most defiled among us. Jesus became a man, didn't he? He left the glories of heaven. We call that theological concept, the incarnation. This is what, by the way, we celebrate during Advent season, first coming of Christ to take on human flesh. But Jesus was not born into a time of easy travel. He was traveling this difficult road from Samaria to Galilee by foot, we take it. He was not isolated from the realities of life. He was not cloistered away in some ivory tower or antiseptic hospital. He lived and moved among the common people. You might remember the phrase of the masses, the hoi in the Greek, the common folk who he interacted with every day. And with them he ate, he lived where they lived, he faced the same temptations that we all face. But he was, is, and ever will be sinless and untouched by sin, yet he interacted with sinners every day. He was like the sunbeam that touches the foulest things in the pasture but never is defiled by it such is the condesc- condescension of Christ. He would live among us. He would be compassionate to us. He would hear our prayers. And their prayers collectively of these 10 lepers was, have mercy upon us. And he did. And he does. And after they said, have mercy on us, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. That is what was required by the Old Testament law. There had to be visual and official Confirmation before they could re enter society, certainly before they could worship in the temple. And when we are saved from our sins by God's grace, we also are cleansed, not of leprosy, but of the defilements of sin. Our relationship that was broken by our sin is restored, and we now once again can have fellowship with the Creator. All because Jesus was not willing to leave us in our sins. Like the lepers, he heard our cries. He condescended to interact with lowly sinners, like all of us. Sometimes when I hear well-meaning Christians describe the gospel to a lost person, it, it sounds sometimes like we sinners were so lovable, that God just couldn't help himself, but scooped us all up collectively for a big spontaneous hug. No, the story of Jesus interacting with repulsive, stained, sickened, and desperate lepers is really what happens in the gospel. God, who is holy, chooses to love and save the unholy, not the lovable, the unlovely, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. In fact, Paul says it's even worse than a contagious disease. He says, in that we were dead in our sins, Christ loved us. We were totally unlovable. But even when the Lord condescends to bless us, as he often does, man is often careless in response, isn't he? That's our second point. We saw the condescension of Christ, but then there's the carelessness of man. Verse 15 says, now one of them, that is one of the 10 lepers, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God, except this foreigner. And he said to him, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Now, the word we most often use to describe God's undeserved blessings to us is grace. The word grace simply means a gift. And what the holiday called Thanksgiving is, whether people understand it or not in this country, is is a day designed to thank God for what we call common grace. It's common, not because this kind of grace lacks value. Sometimes we say, oh, that's common. It means it's not very valuable. That's not at all what that means. It's called common grace because it is common to all people, whether they have faith or not. That is, God, by virtue of being a good and holy and a generous creator, gives good blessings to all humanity. Those things that we gave thanks for hopefully last Thursday, food and shelter and rain and family and friends and health, these things are common to all humanity. We set aside, thankfully, one day nationally, one in 365 days seems like a very small thing to do, isn't it? And yet, seemingly, one day out of 365 is, is too much for many people. They're unwilling even to give the Lord thanks one day a year. It reminds us of these lepers. All were healed, all called out to Christ for mercy, but only one in ten gave thanks. That is a nine to one ratio of those who refused to give thanks, even when all were healed. But don't be too harsh upon these lepers because those in our culture aren't much different. I I said that some won't even give the Lord thanks once a year, but but even some Christians find coming to church one day a week too much to handle. Even here in the buckle of the Bible Belt, less than 10% of the population I'm told is in church on any given Sunday. But I expect that when hard times come, When a child is sick, when money is low, when the rent needs to be paid, much more than 10% of the population cries out to God. But as you likely know, it has always been the case that those who pray in hard times far outnumber those who praise in the good times. Because as humans, we are often careless with the grace of God. It's always been that way. It was in that way, in the day of Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s, he famously said, quote, we receive a continent of mercies and return an island of praise, End quote. Thankfully, there is always a remnant of faithful people. It was that way in the Old Testament. It will be that way, the scripture says, when Jesus returns. Always been a remnant of faithful people, And so it was with the lepers. Look at verse 15. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell at his feet, giving thanks to him. Now, this is an interesting verse because surrounding it is a description of this one of ten who came back. Jesus went out of his way to let us know this man was a Samaritan. Luke tells us he was a foreigner. And remember that in, in the context that Jesus was ministering, first and foremost to his own people, the Jews, he also was merciful to Samaritans. In fact, Samaritans were viewed by Jewish people as total outcasts. They were viewed as traitors to the true God. They worshiped in a temple that was not recognized by those who worshiped in Jerusalem. And yet, on more than one occasion, Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero of his story. You know the story of the Good Samaritan, which was a parable. You remember that uh, the priest and and the faithful Jewish people went around this man. They were too busy to help him, but the Samaritan stopped to help him. Jesus made the Samaritan the hero of that parable. This is not a parable here. This is an actual historical event in which ten lepers are healed. Ostensibly, some of them are Jewish, but this man is described as a Samaritan... Someone, as far as the Jewish people were concerned, did not know the true God, yet he was the one who was thankful. Now, our third point is this, the characteristics of thankfulness. We see in this man, this Samaritan, by the way, that's another mark of the condescension of Christ, that he didn't simply come to save the people we would say were worthy of saving. The truth is none of us are worthy of saving. All of us need the grace of God. But in his actions, we see the characteristics of thankfulness, which I believe are the marks of any true disciple of Christ. About four or five things here I want you to see. The first mark of true thankfulness is that it is not delayed. That is, it is timely. Sometimes when we receive the Lord's blessings and benefits and mercies, we say, I will thank him later. I'm too busy now to thank him. That is, I will go to church and praise him next sunday or on the sunday when i'm not so busy as i am now i will give my offering of thanks to the lord if there's anything left after i spend all i want to on christmas it's not delayed it, it's immediate once the holy spirit impresses upon you that you should give thanks now is the time to do it because you know what happens it gets pushed aside And left behind and forgotten altogether ultimately. True thankfulness is not delayed and it also takes priority over ritual. Jesus told these men to to go to the priest. That was the ritual that they had to show that they were cleansed before they could re enter society. And then all ten of them went on their way. And in one sense, they were obeying Christ, but along the way, they saw that they had been healed. But rather than proceeding on to the priest, this man turned and came back to Jesus. He had to give thanks before the ritual. And true thankfulness takes priority over ritual. Rituals can come in in many forms. Grace before meals, the, the opening of Christmas presents around the fire. And I would encourage all of you, especially those who lead your family well, certainly before you eat a meal. But this year, before you open your presence, why don't you take some time to thank the Lord first? Make sure that the thankfulness comes before the ritual. Because true thankfulness is not delayed. It takes pride over ritual. And thirdly, it's not self-conscious in its expression. This man apparently did not care that no one else was praising. He was willing to be the only one who gave thanks to the Lord Jesus. And apparently he did not care who heard it because the scripture said he thanked the Lord with a loud voice. And sometimes uh, the most sincere expressions of worship are silent to understand that. They come from the heart. They don't have to be verbalized, but sometimes our hearts are so full of thankfulness and praise, but we have to let it out. Such is the case with this man. It reminds me of Peter and John in the book of Acts who were brought before the authorities after they had healed a man in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they threatened them with a beating and says, no longer preach in this man's name. Remember what Peter said? He said, we don't have to think about it. You be the judge, whether it's right to serve God or man. As for us, we can't help but preach the gospel. I think if this lefer were here today, he would say, I couldn't help but thank the Lord for his goodness. It overflowed from his heart. He was not self-conscious in its expression. Didn't care that 90% of the people weren't thanking the Lord. He was going to do that anyway. Fourthly, true thankfulness is motivated by humility. You you note his posture. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Total humility, no pride. He was stripped of all pretense. That tells me that he recognized his own unworthiness. When, When he cried out to Jesus, what he cried for was mercy. Mercy and grace are... Twins, in a sense, two sides of the same coin. Grace is God giving us a good gift that we have not earned, we do not deserve. And mercy is God withholding his wrath that we have earned and we do not deserve. And this man understood that he was the beneficiary of both God's grace and mercy. And spontaneously he felt the feet of Jesus and cried out in a loud voice. He recognized it. But I think the most important characteristic about a thankful heart is is not simply that it's timely or it takes priority, it's not self-conscious, it's motivated by humility. But I think the most important thing about thankfulness as it relates to Christians today is that it pleases God. Remember what we said about personal evangelism a few months ago? One of the things that ought to motivate us to evangelize is that it pleases God, it makes heaven happy, when we tell a lost soul how to be saved, well, the thankfulness of God's people also please him. The scripture says he inhabits the praise of his people. Verse 19, and he said to him, that is Jesus saying to the healed man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus was pleased. He didn't rebuke the man saying, oh, don't embarrass me. It wasn't that big of a deal. And I, and I said when we were talking about evangelism, pleasing the heart of God, Jesus never says that our sin isn't a big deal. When we come to him and we cry out for forgiveness, he agrees with our assessment because we have agreed with his assessment of our sin. We are unworthy and sinners. And so this man was not rebuked for his humility. He was congratulated for it. In a sense, what Jesus is saying is you the one thankful leper are doing what the others should have been doing. But again, this man was a foreigner. And yet sometimes those that we perceive as not knowing as much as we do about the Lord are more thankful seemingly than God's people. I've told this story before. It's, it's worth telling again to my shame. I remember some years ago I was in a sandwich shop with uh, Several of my fellow students. And I was thinking about this story this week. I counted up, there were over a half dozen theological degrees that were sitting around that table that day. And we were, I'm sure, as we often did, solved all the world's problems with our conversation. We crystallized every nuance of theology, we had it all put together. We were ready to take on the world. And just outside the window of this sandwich shop, there was a homeless man, clearly homeless. By his appearance, he was shuffling around, asking for change. Finally got enough change to buy a sandwich, and he came in where we were sitting in the shop, and he was mumbling to himself, clearly had some mental problems. And he goes and he orders his sandwich, and he sits down at the table next to us, and he takes off his very soiled and stained hat, and guess what? He prayed. He thanked the Lord for his sandwich. Here's a table of four theological students who thought they knew it all. And do you know not one of us prayed before our meal that day as I recall? Sometimes the Lord uses those who we perceive to be less spiritual than ourselves to teach us a lesson about thankfulness. I think that's the point of Luke pointing out, this man was a foreigner. This man was a Samaritan. The others should have known better, but apparently they were not as thankful. Well, I I don't want this season of Thanksgiving to pass without our church recognizing it. And so uh, I, I want you to do something with me, if you will. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 30. Psalm 30. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. And so we all are saying the same things. If you, if you don't have a New American Standard, let's take one of the Pew Bibles out from uh, the, the pew behind the little blue, blue, blue Bibles. Turn to page 404. And on page 404, you will come to the 30th Psalm. And there's a little note just below the word Psalm 30. And if your Bible's like mine, it says, Thanksgiving for deliverance from death. Now, this was a psalm written by David. David was a man who many times in his life called out to God and he was delivered from death. Can can you think of a few of those times? Well, the first time probably was when he was watching over his father Jesse's sheep. Remember he would later write the 23rd Psalm, look back over his life. He said, the Lord was my shepherd. He protected me even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. We know that apparently some predatory animals came to steal Jesse's sheep and David had to fight them with his rod and his staff. We know that because another time David's life was endangered is when he was a young lad and he took on the Philistine giant Goliath. And the way he earned the right to fight Goliath is he told Saul, when I was watching the sheep, God delivered me from the lion and the bear. And then he took on a giant and won. And then many other times through his life, he was a warrior. He faced near death. In fact, more than once, King Saul, in a fit of jealousy, tried to run David through with a spear. And we don't know exactly which one of these occasions that David took pen in hand to thank the Lord for preserving his life. But it was one of those occasions. Maybe it was just a collective of all those times that God had saved his life. But I want to read this because remember what we said about leprosy when we started, it was 100% fatal. There was no cure for it. This man that thanked the Lord and all of the others who Jesus healed would have surely died a long and painful death. And remember, we said also that our sin is synonymous with that leprosy. Because, friends, it is 100% spiritually fatal. Even one sin is enough to separate us eternally from our Creator God. And so maybe you have not in the last year or so been rescued from physical death. Maybe you have and didn't know it. How many times the Lord has saved us and we didn't even know it. But maybe you were saved from a hospital bed this year. Certainly, if you are a Christian here today, your soul has been saved from certain death. And so, can, can we read this little psalm together? Just join in as I read Psalm 30, verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. And have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Thank the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for uh, this reminder. Sometimes you teach us through negative examples. Here we have in these two men, nine negative examples and one positive example. And Father, we know like these lepers, we were in our sins, stained, growing worse and worse all the time, totally unable to save ourselves. Hopeless, helpless with the death sentence. So Lord, in our desperation, we cried out to you for mercy. And you heard us just as Jesus heard these men. You didn't stand aloof and far off from us, but you called us close and near, and you forgave our sins. You filled us with your spirit. You cleansed us from every stain and evidence of sin, and now you call us children, sons of the Most High. And Father, we see in these nine who did not thank the Lord ourselves at times, Lord when we take of your blessings, both your common grace, good health, nice homes, family relationships, Lord, and we don't often pause to say thank you. Forgive us of our thanklessness, Father. Make us more thankful. Lord, we we are thankful that sometimes you rebuke us through people that we perceive to be less spiritual than ourselves. So Father, your wounds are faithful. They help us on the path of sanctification. And Father, I pray this this word today would do that very thing, that would encourage us to be thankful not just one day a year, but, but every day. Father, that we would remember that you rescued us from certain doom and death just as surely as you rescued these ten men. So Father, we say thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed on our behalf. And as a church family, Lord, we lift up a praise of thanksgiving to you for the everyday blessings of life. Lord, we thank you for one another. Thank you for the unity that we enjoy here. Thank you for the love that we have for you and one another. We thank you for the financial blessings you've entrusted with us this past year. Father, we thank you that we have the health to be here and we have enough breath in our lungs to voice this praise to you today. And we pray in the year ahead that we'd be more thankful still. And we pray these things in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.